Hi, I'm Keegan. Welcome to GM Talks. I'm joined with my lovely assistant, Brennan, and we are on our fan Discord. Anyone who is on our Discord will sometimes be allowed to join occasionally for our GM Talks, and we are joined with Zero. Uh, he jumped onto the Discord when he found out about our upcoming Werewolf the Apocalypse joining contest. And, yeah. I shamelessly joined, I'm not going to lie. But it's very nice to be here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, nothing wrong with shamelessly joining, man. Um, uh, like... I would just like to state for the record that I've definitely mentioned this before. I've never actually listened to uh, like your games or podcasts, but as soon as I heard that there was a Werewolf the Apocalypse game happening, I was like, ooh, I want to play. That's so fair. My, my, my interest comes purely from a roleplay perspective. Oh, I, I understand. Play, oh, no. <laughs> and I saw your thing where it's like, I don't want to be a famous streamer. I'm like, oh, don't worry. You won't be with ours. Uh, <laughs> we've got like a hundred people subscribed at most on YouTube and like eighteen on Podbean, so don't worry. I You'll mean, be that, a double that's z- weird to me. Because like a- I, I have I've like messages like in my Facebook from like you know like memes I've shared from your for, uh, of your page from like three years ago. So that, I'm like, that's impressive. I, I don't think I don't think we've been around for three years. I think we're coming up on. Year, like year one and a half yeah All right, i definitely <laughs> had a year okay That's fair. certainly feels like three <laughs> yes uh given the theme of this episode of uh gaming in the new year hopefully your games won't feel like you yeah know. that was all in that was all in bc as i like to call it before <laughs> corona so that doesn't yeah, that doesn't count. That's, yeah. there you go there you this go. year has been like the hyperbolic time <laughs> chamber man oh man but yeah no we uh We've had a couple. I mean, I've gotten Travis Leg, um, Neil Price, and Matthew Dawkins on GM Talks for a couple things, mostly for projects they're doing. But um, we like to talk around. We like to talk to people who aren't famous game designers because a lot of people who just run games or play games on the regular have things of value on how they run their games that other people could learn from, right? Oh, well, if you want to talk about filthy homebrew heretics, I'm your man. Oh, there you go. Woo! And I th- uh, you were talking briefly before we started recording about how you guys do a modified uh, D20 for, uh, excuse me, World, World of Darkness. Of Dar- so, like, yeah, so we I've been playing World of Darkness for, like, 10, yeah, maybe, I think 10 years now, because I'm, I'm, I just turned 28 uh, in December, so... And I've been playing since eighteen, since I was eighteen. So yeah, ten years I've been playing World of Darkness, and this entire time we've just played a, D, a modified D twenty system uh, because I think that the no offense to White Wolf or anyone like that, I just think that the the dice pool system of like successes is how should we say this complicated? It's a little a little less intrinsic than just rolling a d20 system, right? So what we do is we just take uh, our attribute and skill, like say you have a five and uh, or sorry three in strength and a two in brawl, and you're you know rolling to brawl against someone. You take your three plus two, roll it to add it to a d20 roll. Say so you got fifteen plus five, that's a net twenty. That's just you know that, that's how we do it. That makes and, sense. Like, and like and damage has always just been what we call realistic roleplay damage which is if you're shot in the leg act like you've been shot in the leg you know consider what that would be like um i don't know how someone is supposed to roleplay one point of damage to the knee mm-hmm. i don't 
I just I just don't get it. <laughs> no, I got you. Now I um I actually like the dipole system, but that's because um especially when I started running the game, there was a good visual representation. The better you were, you could see your dipole grow. And I've noticed a lot with new players that's very that's very visual and thus gets them to understand the mechanics a bit better. In my experience, at least, and uh, I think dipoles are typically a little less um, swingy than a d20. Which is why I've always you, liked that. Um, but both are blown out of the water with uh, D percentile, like Call of Cthulhu. I like percentile die. Uh, oh, yeah, that one's super simple. Yeah. Call of Cthulhu is my number one uh, teaching game because of it. I don't did you I always play with I'm sorry, uh, Zero? Did you always play with D20 or. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, on... Yeah, we, I started off on uh, 3.5 D&D, and then from there, we went to Pathfinder, which is, if anyone knows, is just like cleaner 3.5, or 3.75, as some would call it, and um, I highly recommend Pathfinder to everybody. Um, and then from there, we wanted to get into the more, you know, I guess like more futuristic, modern kind of games and whatnot, and World of Darkness was just like the obvious pick. And I had a friend who'd played it and got me into it. Um, so first it started with uh, Vampire the Masquerade. And I was running games and kind of letting everybody know, like, you know, this is vampire, but, like, there's also werewolves and everything else. And, like, I started to slowly bleed that stuff in. And eventually everyone just, we just now play games where, like, it's just mixed World of Darkness. If you come to me and you've said, I've read the Wraith book, I want to play a Wraith. And I say I have a bunch of werewolves. That sounds cool. I I I've never really considered that the the growing dice pool thing. Like you said, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I just it's something I've noticed. It's a visual thing. And to be fair, I started. Uh, I actually did Chronicles of Darkness. Then when I started playing it, New World of Darkness, and that's a little more intuitive too. But just because the difficult the what you have to roll on the die is constant, and mm -hmm. the harder something is, the less dice you get. That's it. That, so. that seems to make more sense to me. Like, mm -hmm. what is the success? Is it just five? It's or? an eight. Eight? So an eight or higher, but tens explode. So whenever you roll tens, you keep rolling. And if it's the ten again, you keep rolling until you stop getting tens. See, that's cool. That's literally what I was just about to mention about um, Legend of the Five Rings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Legend uh, LD5. Or, anyway. Legend of the Five Rings is a, a fa is a, like a Eastern uh, samurai kind of game, right? That uh, some of my friends in Greece are playing, and uh, they, they have an exploding dice system. So you you uh, where yeah, if you roll, I think it's a d10, mm -hmm. and if you roll a ten, it it explodes, and you just keep rolling it. Um, it also has like a cool system that kind of reminiscent of Wraith, where okay. they have what they call their their mask. And, like, after, like, certain amount of, I guess, failures, your mask slips, and you kind of go into, like, you know, like, your anime crazy mode, if you will. Okay. I don't know how else to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, I also, so, one thing I don't like about the World of Darkness dice is I haven't I house ruled it out of uh, this game because we've just been playing, and it's not really great to change rules on the fly is um the higher your die pool there is sometimes a better greater chance of botching because uh if you roll zero successes rules is written you roll a one you botch which makes sense right right um but uh 
as difficulty go goes up, you actually see a kind of a weird kind of curve, curve basically, of where botches start to go up and successes start to go down, which can get a little frustrating for folk. And why I like the uh, the Chronicles one is, uh, as I had mentioned, you uh, add a subtract dice to your base pool depending on how easy or hard something is. And if the difficulty is so high, your die pool is dropped to zero, what you do is you roll a single d10. If it's a 10, you succeed and it still explodes, but that's it, it only succeeds on a 10. And if you roll a one, then you botch. Man, that's so complicated. I don't think so. I mean, it, may, it makes sense. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, it's just, man, what if you don't have all the dice for that? I mean, it's just a one, one die, right? Like, most pools don't get above 10 dice. But that's like 10 d10. Yeah, I mean, most people are dice goblins, so I just assume people have those lying that is around. True. Yeah, you have to consider the fact that everyone likes the shiny math rocks that go click clack. Yep. Yeah, that's been a, a relatively easy hurdle to jump, but one I haven't uh, gone through until recently where you have a set like for D&D, you have your 20, your 12, your 10, your 6s, your 8s, and mm -hmm. It, as easy as asking at a game store, like, do you guys just have a bunch of D10s? And he's like, you're playing more World of Darkness, aren't you? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get 30? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You're, you're an Exalted player. <laughs> I've never played Exalted. I did a lot of second edition. I liked second edition, but you had to do a whole lot of hand waving because the, the mechanics broke down real fucking quick as you got gained even just a little bit of experience. Uh, Anytime I have second edition, I always think D and D second edition, so my mind immediately goes to Thacko. Fair. Which, oh, yeah. The yeah. Uh, the Exalted system is also a die pool system. Obviously, they have the nice thing where ones don't subtract from successes. Well, so nice. that's nice, and it's always a seven or higher that counts as a success, and tens always count as two successes. But uh, what you do is you'd add your attribute and ability together, get your pool. Since Exalted are so crazy strong, there's a very good chance that that's a 10-die pool if it's something you're good at. And then you could also have a specialty in something, and that would, you could have a plus three specialty, which could add three dice to your pool. Then, most Solars had something they called an Excellency, where you could spend one point of what's called Essence for one die. And so you could up to a maximum of your ability plus attribute for that excellency. So you could get potentially 23 dice just starting in the game for a single Jeez. roll. And if you wanted to get real crazy, you could spend a point of willpower and channel your virtue uh, through it. And if you had a virtue is rated between one and five. So if you had a five dot in that virtue, you'd actually get up to 28 dice. Wow. Yeah, exalted is... I would say, from an outside perspective, way more complicated than World of Darkness in any edition. Oh, man, there's some, there's some stuff, though, like, hey, roll these dice, see if you convert an entire crowd to your religion about you. <laughs> Done. It's, there's definitely a, a level of power fantasy, at least in uh, mm -hmm. my Hard limited experience with Exalted. The bard plays one song, one guy just stands up. Uh, just want to say, uh, the old gods are dead. All hail the new gods. Right, basically. Uh, there was a <laughs> flying city once, and Brennan spent three motes of essence out of, like, his 50, which allowed him to 
jump the distance needed with no successes ne needed and land perfectly on a root that was hanging off of it and balance perfectly. And one of the characters who did not have those charms leaps, grabs a struggling eye. This is so unfair. <laughs> How am I supposed to win this? <laughs> he, was, was he was like a big tanky character. He spent like three hours climbing the tower. I got up in like 15 minutes. <laughs> it was have silly. Have you guys ever decided to play a character that like, say like you have a character from your World of Darkness game, right? Have you ever mm -hmm. decided like, I like this character so much, I'm going to play him in my D&D game? Ooh. I, I really haven't, but that's because I, I mainly run games. Oh, man. I haven't had that in World, but it sounds like you're coming from a place with a story. Well, <laughs> I always have a story. Um, I, I have one character who's, like, my favorite, which, uh, like, I mean, I've received some, you know, critiques from him in the past, but, you know, he's, he's my favorite character, and, you know, I started him off in D&D, &D, right? And he was he was a half-vampire, right? And, like, take uh, take this with all the edge that is intended. His name is Vincent Van Blade. He is, like, a half-vampire, wears a red cape. Yeah, he is the knight. Like, I, I, I get to do some awesome Batman stuff with him. He's got, like, a silver claw embedded into his arm, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I love him so much that, like, I played him in D&D &D for so long that when we all started playing World of Darkness, I was like, guys, I'm not going to not play my half-vampire in a World of Darkness. That uh, sounds so excellent. And, like, he, he's, he's my favorite character. And, like, I have, like, entire, like, you know, stories and profiles written out about him. Like, he has, um, like, it's, it's a certain mental, neurological condition where you just don't feel things as strongly as other people do like all your emotions are basically super numbed mm -hmm. um and uh, he kind of has that so that's why he kind of talks in like a dull uninterested kind of way but uh, mm. oh i've got i've pulled off like the sickest kills with him man and like every single time i get to play him it's just a matter of like how savagely can i kill this guy and and usually the answer is pretty bad pretty nice bad. That reminds me, like, just your description reminds me of, like, Helsing or, like, Blade 1. Um, another comparison I get a lot is Vincent Valentine, which I can kind of see. It was an unintentional kind of, like, similarity. But then, like, someone showed me, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I can see it now. I'm like, yeah, basically, just like that. <laughs> but, oh, I got, like, a, he's got, like, a razor chain that's attached to his claw. And I have used that to pull off some of the most interesting kills, like turning it into a noose and then like lowering it over someone's neck and then jumping off a branch so it like lifts them up and guillotines them while taking their head off. Like, ah, uh. jeez. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I play D and D, so I can get in like some cool kills that you can talk about, like their anime fights. Vincent Van Blade. Vincent Van Blade, all oh, the edge. Whew, that is <laughs> Um, so with, uh, 2020 being kind of, a you know, a rough, rough decade, um, what kind of things did you guys, uh, do in 2020 that you kind of want to bring out or try a little, do a little more of in 2021 with your games, whether that's characters or games you've run? Hmm. So me and my brother have, uh, I've been talking a lot. Do you want to go ahead, man? <laughs> Beefy? Oh, you go for it, Zero. You're the guest. 
oh wow, this is so special. It's like being on Joe Rogan, but for nerds. Yay. <laughs> I also oh. made a kit soon. All right. Nice. We've been uh, exploring a lot of uh, morality questions in our werewolf game, which has been kind of fun. Such as? A lot of it is the, um, at what, where do you, uh, where do you leave the buck, so to speak, with um, corporate greed and, uh, <clears throat> and like the damage it does. Like they did a lot of investigation in, uh, in Magadon. And a lot of the scientists and things like that, they thought they were just making super soldiers for the military and that it was completely kosher and that the people they were testing it on were prisoners. So a lot of them thought it was okay within the legal structure but and that it was just a job. Okay? Well, I mean, people do that all the time. That doesn't make it okay. <laughs> True. Other ones were that they were boiling down veins and they were creating basically this... Uh, sleeper cell basically where some of the pills had banes in them but the banes wouldn't activate without a separate trigger and that separate trigger was being pumped in antibiotics in cattle so otolis was opening up new restaurants throughout the developing world to get them food and this was magadon was pumping drugs there to help ease the sick and so the people who were doing it thought they were doing the right thing what they didn't know was that those boiled down veins could activate and create a, an army of Fomori, but they were still compliant in it, and they did still see that they were going to be profiting off of um, the misery of these these people and these poor people. But they they thought they were still helping and were w debating whether the ends justified the means. Are they correct? Should they be ripped asunder? Absolutely not. No, mm -hmm. I want to join this game so bad just so I can come into the Aru and he says, What have you guys been doing? How have you not raised yet? <laughs> the, uh, the other one was uh, they had a whole thing with DNA. Uh, if you are interested, there's a whole mini thing with uh, our Thurge because he had a work conflict for a while, so he was out of the game. And uh -huh. we decided to explain him being away and that his character was on a spiritual quest. And so he did a spiritual Ooh. quest. We do all the spiritual quest stuff. He ends up doing his rank two challenge. And it's a one-on-one -on -one game. And then he gets captured by DNA. And DNA thinks he's a person who has this genetic disease. And that this genetic disease makes him a threat to himself and others because of the frenzy. And so they're trying to cure him. And they're trying to get a psychological profile of him. And they're trying to get him to understand there's nothing mythical about him. Nor is there any sort of mythical greater purpose to the Garu's sort of uh, mission. And so it becomes the question of, you know, these people clearly think they're doing the right thing. And where they're coming from, because of the information they have, it could be considered a righteous or good choice. How many people do you kill? Is it worth it? Because they are, in a, in a sense, still torturing people mentally and physically in trying to find a quote-unquote cure for something they view as uh, the big bad against humanity. But that's just human... <sighs> See, I, you're like, you're, you're making me want to get in character with this. <laughs> and like, I, I, like, part of me is screaming wherever it dwells, wherever it breeds. I don't care what use you think you have for a Bane or for Mori. Oh, no, no, wrong. that part, that that's DNA. DNA is a weaver thing. They're just trying to cure werewolves. <laughs> 
werewolves. <laughs> okay, look, I don't care what they think. You can't cure werewolves. We are a gift from Gaia. <laughs> they don't believe and... in Gaia. That's just superstition. I don't care what they believe in. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm very passionate when it comes to roleplay, so I'm just immediately like, <laughs> I don't care what they believe in. You know what they can learn to believe in? That I have teeth and claws, and they don't. <laughs> No, no. Now, they See, have, there is a there's a conversation in character between another character because during the rescue mission, the rescue mission goes to shit, and the Arun got captured. <laughs> and they have this you discussion. Up, you gotta give up a werewolf card if you're the Arun and get captured. Oh no, DNA knows how to deal with werewolves, at least on accidental infiltrations. Have you heard of claw caps? I have not. Mm. These were like a Pentex weapon that got made up. Um, it's in one of the books of uh, Bane and Fomori. Okay. Um, Probably Book of the Worm. And basically, yeah. Um, and basically, they're like metal claws that, like, like kind of like finger gauntlets that go mm -hmm. over the claws of a of a fair, usually black spiral dancers, and um, they have like explosive tips that when they like claw into something they like shoot into you and then explode oh and they're like yeah they're made of silver of course and yeah <laughs> they're really really mean mm -hmm. and uh i'm not i don't i'm not sure why i'm telling you that now D <laughs> dna uh dna has drugs that are powerful enough to start knocking out a krinos werewolf Ooh. And so she popped because uh, the Weaver spirits believe this was a place where werewolf because the facility was meant to house werewolves. All the Weaver spirits wanted all werewolves on the premises to get captured because that is the purpose of the facility to capture werewolves and to deviate from that is to break the pattern. And so they tried infiltrating in the Umbra and they got charged by several hunter spiders, several pattern spiders, things like that. So. These walls of spiders are coming after them, but they're pushing them to one spot where the gauntlet is actually weaker. The spiders have intentionally left it weaker. So they corralled her over there. She passes into the Umbra, and she's in the training zone where everyone's equipped with their weapons. Oh, man. And then they're just like, all right, cap, 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 and <laughs> unconscious. Oh, the frying pan into the fire. Mm-hmm. So what have you been doing? You're poor players, man. Oh, man. <laughs> Emotionally wreck them. <laughs> In a good way. In a good way. Um, yeah. Uh, the running joke between me and Sam, who play Korra, is her favorite character is the Elder of the Sept. And the running joke is, is he going to die this session, Sam? Is he? <laughs> <laughs> it's like being a it's like being a Jedi master. It's literally the most dangerous job because to, <laughs> to successfully train your Padawan, you have to die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many things, and then it's just like, oh, he's being a real dick. Is he gonna fall to the spiral, Sam? Um, uh, I have a question. Yes. What is everybody's tribe in the? Uh, so we actually have two separate packs currently. Cool. Um, one pack, which is the original pack, is from Wars Bane, and that's uh, two children of Gaia and a get of Fenris. Um, All right, I was gonna say now that now that I found out you have two children of Gaia, it kind of makes sense why you guys haven't 
gone in there and raged. And then uh, the other pack <laughs> was uh, the other pack was a Fianna. She just passed and died in the last session. Um, no, which is why the contest happened. War <laughs> one out for the homies. Um, pl- she had to leave due to the fact that she's in the UK. The time zone difference and getting up, staying up till four in the morning, her time to uh, to play the game was getting to be a bit much. So she had to drop. So we came up with a way to kill her character, and that'll actually be um, how we introduce uh, whoever wins. Um, there'll be a youngin from the sep that fell that she went to and got killed at. Um, and then you have a Silent Strider and a Stargazer. So I know very little about the Silent Strider t- tribe. That, that one I'm drawing a blank on. Uh, those are the ones who uh, follow Owl. They're kind of the messengers usually. They have a lot of gifts that increase their speed and things like that. Uh, their tribe in the ancient days defeated an ancient vampire who cursed them and cut them off from all their ancestor spirits and drove them from the lands of Egypt. So they cannot, uh, ex- they can't stay within the bounds of uh, Egypt or else bad things what happen. Doing? What a jerk. Yeah. So that's the makeup. Earlier. I should have asked earlier, Did, am, I, am I supposed to try to keep my language as clean as possible? I wasn't aware. Oh no, uh, especially for the uh, the werewolf game. <laughs> oh, okay, thank you, thank God. I was like, I'm sorry, I cussed like a sailor, man. <laughs> oh no, that's fine. Listen to the last episode, you'll get a good idea. That's the one where we had technical difficulties, and the first half is gone, so it's only an hour long listen. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's too bad. Yeah, yeah I, heard, I heard about that. That was a little grumpy. Uh, <laughs> I think Have you, you can... ever wanted to. Have you ever ran a uh, mixed fairy game? I haven't, uh, especially because every time I end up uh, picking up Werewolf, my group are usually people who are just completely new to the setting. So instead of dropping several different pharaoh cultures on them... <laughs> I, uh, I will, man. <laughs> I do that. I'll uh, be like, all right, so this is Werewolf. These are all the, ra- these are all the breeds. Or you could just be a Werewolf. Mm-hmm. I um so I've I've always found at least when I do because I've done that before where I did a big info dump. Uh, Brennan was part of that game. It's a huge info dump dump on the werewolves, their culture, things like that. Um, and around the second or third paragraph, uh, your player's eyes start glazing over, <laughs> and so they're not as engaged, and so they'll make sort of mistakes making their characters. So what I what I have done now historically. Uh, for people in my games is if we start and it's starting at the beginning beginning they make their characters without spending any of the bonus points or freebie points they start off as just uh, people who have just changed they get their auspice and they get their breed they don't get their tribe and they are raised by the sept in an extended prelude that lasts I think ours lasted uh, three, three or four sessions where throughout the the session they're trained, they're learning, things like that, and as they learn, they're allowed to uh, spend their freebie points to increase dots here and there. And then we play through and run their rite of passage, where they get to pick their tribe, and um, I tell them to just pick pure breed, and if they pick pure breed wrong, they just get those um, 
Like, if it's not the same tribe as their parents, after they've learned about the tribes, they just get refunded all those um, purebreed background points back to spend wherever they want it. And that's how I do it. And then they do their right of totem. They find their totem, and then they're ready to go. And because they're learning all the, uh, the lore and engaging with that lore in and out of character at the same time, I find that they get way more invested. That is really cool. I really like that. That's that that's a lot different than like just the you should know what your character is by now. Yeah. Uh, so, and I mean like, like I, I I I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say and like um if I have more experienced players, I'm more willing to give them more leeway to just pick, but uh, I also have a uh, I discourage brand new players from picking uh Metis. For the same reason, is that uh, Metis know a lot about werewolf culture, so I'm just like, hey, I would prefer it if you didn't. If you, you're really, really drawn to this, sure, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to recommend this and then ask them why they feel they want to play, play a Metis, especially if they're new, and then you work with them. But most of my new players don't play Metis. People who come back in, they'll play Metis on occasion now that they they know the lore, so they're going to be a little more, you know, immersed in it. That was like um, our uh, second big campaign. I played a Metis yep. because I had played for almost four years before that as a Stargazer. What is the advantage of playing a Metis? I mean, like, I've always just looked at them as, like, the... Oh, it's I a role-playing thing. Um, a part I of would... it is a role-playing thing, and but the... Um, it is, you know, you're, you know, regenerate, being able to regenerate in all your forms is a pretty nice gift. Um, but on top of that, it's just a role-playing thing. It gives you a chance to pick a certain flavor, you know, uh, get a different set of lists, maybe have a unique relation with the, uh, the spirit world because metas have access to that a lot sooner than everyone else. So you're able to play around with that a little more. Um, play around with that um, that theme of both worlds, but not in either. And you can def with like that's a theme with all werewolves, but I think it's more of a theme regarding Metis. And then you can create that dynamic where now you have a Metis where the rest of the nation is kind of attacking them for being Metis, and uh, the pack being a family dynamic. You you see them, you know, try and defend them after they had no ability to defend them when they were pups. That is really interesting. Um, it kind of reminds me of the fact that um, in... I mentioned earlier that I, that I made a Kitsune last year, and I'm still, like, anxious to play him. Mm -hmm. And it, if anyone has not read the uh, Hengokai book, I suggest you do, and make sure you read all the way to the end, because that's where you'll find the Kitsune book. It's hidden. And uh, it is... Possibly the mo one of the most interesting views of the world of darkness from Farah eyes. Um, they don't they they have what you would consider you know their metis as well, but they don't have deformities. They don't uh, they're not treated any differently. Mm -hmm. um, but the interesting thing about Kitsune is that whenever one of them is born, uh, there is a nine out of ten chance that one of their parents will die. And yes. it's I think it, it's a even another it's like several different percentages of like what parent it'll be my character is actually one of the most unfortunate where both of his parents died okay yeah um but uh anyway 
but I would love to see a Metis game meet a Kitsune just to like explain to him like you know especially one who's like new to the West and then explain to him that like we are Metis and him just not grasping the concept mm-hmm. of like I think that would be a fun thing. I know they got a slight rewrite in um, 20th. Uh, not a lot, but a little more, uh, just to remove some of the uh, the Orientalisms that were present in Henge Yokai. They actually did a little more researching. Like, they? oh, that's uh, that's a little offensive. So they pulled that out and replaced it with something that makes a little more sense in werewolf com- cosmology. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. What, just what a book is little that? Changing Breeds, uh, 20th anniversary. Let me see if I have that book. Um, it's, uh, yeah, because that one has just every single changing breeds stats and a brief history of for every single pharaoh. Is that in New World of Darkness? No, it's in a Werewolf 20th Anniversary. Uh, let's... I don't know if I have the 20th Anniversary Werewolf book. Okay, that's the one we're running with. Um, some minor differences, like uh, there's no dodge skill anymore that got wrapped up in uh, athletics. What? No, that's fine. <laughs> that makes more sense to me. <laughs> I, yeah. I think it was silly that there's like athletics, dodge, brawl. Mm-hmm. Like, like, and then there was also martial arts in some of them. Like, yep. <laughs> yep, that's the one. <laughs> I have Werewolf the Forsaken. But uh, yeah, we do 20th anniversary. Um, I like it. The rules are a little more clean. Uh, some things got balanced out a little better. Uh, like Razor Claws is a little better in... 20th and than it was in revised or second. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I mean, Razor Claws are just... That was almost like a staple. Yep. What it does now is it increases the damage of your claws by one, but also decreases the difficulty by one. So you have to roll a five or higher instead of a six or higher when you activate Razor Claws. That's, that's, that's nice. Yeah. Um. But, um... Yeah. I, I've done some things. I think going into the new year for the podcast especially is trying to introduce more of the supernatural elements and giving them a place to feel natural because I've, I've typically siloed in past games with the exceptions here and there. Like the last game I ran with Brennan here, uh, vampires played a lot more prominently. Um, oh, and I think there vampire. was a mage. And in this one, there's been a mage they finally gotten some vampires, but now there's also been a, the hintings of a Bastet, and there has definitely been a Garal. Um, and a Nuisha. That's cool. And you play them rare, and I just want to get them to try and uh, make sense. So I've actually been going back and uh, rereading all the um, the Changing Breed books from uh, the older editions to snag ideas. My favorite are the Corax. I, I know. You had mentioned it, actually. Korax, on the... <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I will shamelessly plug Corax. I am definitely, like, that person who, like, has picked the Corax as their favorite. And because of that, <laughs> I believe everything that Corax say. And if you know anything <laughs> about that, that is a bad idea. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Ananasi for only one reason. They have the greatest combat maneuver out of any of the changing breeds. Which would be... You grapple someone, and then you explode into a human mass of spiders to swarm them. 
I yeah, I, I would challenge that. I would. Um, shroud. Level one. Yeah. <laughs> Greatest combat maneuver. <laughs> Just because it saved your ass several times doesn't. I mean, it's the Every greatest comment. <laughs> greatest. <laughs> I would argue... I mean, I guess against vampires, especially, the the Korax have, like, a very high-level ability where they can make a sun in their hands that doesn't produce the heat, but it's just the light. And, like, that, to me, is, like, the ultimate F.U. to the entire vampire world. That's fair. Like, I... <laughs> Like, as soon as I heard that, I was like, why aren't there Koraks that are just like, I'm going to be a vampire hunter now. I have the sun. <laughs> I mean, it's like Kiss of Helios, right? You explode in sunfire as a werewolf. Yeah. Um, actually, so this, I brought back Brennan's pack for the, uh, for the current game. So the pack I ran for the last werewolf game are now NPCs in this game. And Brennan comes back to reprise his role occasionally and works with me for dialogue for the recordings and things like that and my brother was in that game and he was a silver fang and they got to rank five in that game and owl was their totem so when he turned into krinos and the umbra he had giant spiritual wings his whole body turned to silver he had a gift that made his clave ignite in fire and he had kiss of helia so his whole body ignited in fire so he's this giant silvery avenging angel monstrosity oh it was it was (laughs) awesome like uh, end battle he didn't get taken down for ages (laughs) <laughs> I, I think i just fell in love a little bit do we have a poster of him i can hang up on my wall <laughs> right i don't know we I'll should have to commission that. some we should commission some art <laughs> I, I am a i am a shameless shameless um, like, lover of anything that is like over the top cool brennan uh, we, took we, uh, oh go ahead I, I was just gonna say I, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the uh, running rule of cool but mm-hmm. uh, oh yeah uh, yeah, no, that is definitely a prominent feature in all of my games. No, I think if, um, if it's cool enough, it happens. Uh, Liam's character in that game, uh, the Avenging Angel, I think his damage record was like 33 or 36. Something like that. There, it was like 36 dice of damage. Oh! It was Ouch. absolutely outrageous and <laughs> fantastic. And it was unsoakable against were- for werewolves. Because it was a clave, thus silver. The other one I liked is when Sean joined us briefly for that game. You heard about him, and we just tried to do the awkward introduction, and his character's a medicine. He has these uh, curled ram horns, but also has the wings. So he flew over in Krinos and had the giant merit. So he was like a 12, 15-foot tall wolfman monster. With oh, these, you mean me? Horns yeah, and wings? with horns and wings. Yeah, Brennan's character. And so Brennan yeah. flies over to Sean's character. Goes, I heard so much about you. <laughs> Man, talk about werewolf the apocalypse. <laughs> oh, it was great. Uh, oh, yeah. One of the other things, um, if you come across it, zero is a uh, if uh, either you as a player or uh, if you're GMing. Um, if your pack takes owl as their totem and you play up like uh falling from great heights and stuff in the umbra it just doesn't work because hmm. everybody flies <laughs> <laughs> and it, it makes things really easy on that front at least. yeah have 
uh, is uh, are the Haken still in um? Yes, uh, the twins? they are in yeah, the core uh, book. Yep. Which one are um, the Haken? They're the uh, the, the, the Shadow Lords from the East. They uh, would find that term very offensive. <laughs> That's uh, the yeah, best so, way to describe them. <laughs> that is how most people would describe them. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be be like that, but like <laughs> to, according to the Haken, they're not just Shadow Lords with codes. And like what's interesting and I feel like was a like underplayed factor is that they started talking about how because there aren't any more like roaming wild wolves in Japan anymore, because they were all hunted mostly out in the Edo period, um, is that there aren't as many uh, lupid-born werewolves as much, so that they're losing that kind of part of the wolf. But it didn't really say anything specific about how like that implemented in mechanics. And I think it would be interesting if like you if like because of that the Haken don't have access to certain forms yeah that'd be an interesting way um what i know i know for a fact is um in 20th at least and i think they they confirm it and revised as well is that uh if the um if the animal version of the were creature goes extinct there will be no more um were animals of that kind ever born after that time so if you killed Every last wolf, that generation of Garu, are the last generation of Garu. Yeah, I, I guess technically, yeah, because you can't—they can't breed with each other. But I mean, well, even with humans, yeah, no, it's um, it doesn't matter if um, even if a Hamid were to breed with a human kinfolk, it produces regular humans, not even kinfolk anymore. They the spiritual just, side just is destroyed. The, just because, yeah, the spirit is no longer there to. Yep. Yeah, it's how is. the uh, the Kara um, went extinct, which are the Were Sabertooths. Oh, is that is that? Oh, I've also heard of the uh, the Bunyip, which were Were Dingoes, Were Thylacines. The what? Oh, Thylacines, the, um... yeah, the Tasmanian. Uh, it's the Tasmanian wolf or the Tasmanian tiger, which was a wolf-ish looking marsupial. Yeah, I was going to say that. Like, It doesn't make sense if they were dingoes. Yeah. Because I've heard that before, too. I was like, it's got to be the Tasmanian tiger thing, right? That yep, that's had, it. Like, the, the cool disappearing stripes on it and stuff. I watched a huge documentary on it when I was a kid. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's various things like that. So they, uh, like the uh, the Opus, which were were-oroxes, uh, they don't exist anymore. Also, because of the War of Rage and because there are no Oroks around. They're, they've all been most... The aurochs got domesticated and uh, went extinct. The were oxes, right? Yeah. And uh, so, so I, I see you're on a tangent. I hate to interrupt you, but uh, also, just while I'm on the topic of the bunyip, have y'all heard of skinwalkers in the world of darkness? Oh yes. Oh boy, have we? <laughs> <laughs> they were a big antagonist in our last game. Oh, I'm so envious. I want to kill the one that, that I think is. In my, in my like headcanon of world darkness, I think that there's one in Australia that is the one that wiped out the Bunyip and got it got a Krenos form. Oh, uh, that'd be pretty cool, actually. I like that. Like that that that's what made sense to me, because like I've read some books that mentioned there was something about a skinwalker in Australia, and like then there was like another mention about how the Bunyip were wiped out, and like no one's quite sure how, and like I drew the connections. Okay. Uh, 
There's so much stuff in the world of darkness that is just so cool that you want to utilize in games, like uh, Mm -hmm. like uh, from the vampire side, the Cathedral of Flesh. Mm -hmm. Oh my god! As soon as I read about that, man, I was like having horror wet dreams. Like I I love (laughs) horror, like really good horror, especially like things like The Thing, Um, and like that just sounds like. It was just beautiful. <laughs> it's like a well-written SCP, man. Like it, it just it captures the imagination. And when I explain it to people, you can see the fear in their eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have this one friend, Kate, and I love inviting her to World of Darkness games because she is what I like to call the straight man. Mm-hmm. Right? She is not as desensitized to all of it as the rest of us and she like you can actually like see the she gets a little like nervous and scared and like i explained the 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 cathedral flesh to her and like her one response was just i do not like the gore church <laughs> <laughs> we had uh what was it we had one that was a new person to uh it was one of the earlier games actually where it's like all right because it was um the in-character learning sort of thing and they were being trained by the Silver Fang, who has a lead pipe, and they're like, well, that's unnerving. Today we're going to learn about uh, regeneration. And Korra goes, um, how are we going to learn about regeneration? Like this! And he just hits her in the <laughs> knee and breaks it. And it was like this huge way to just like drive home like how strength-based this was. So it was an idea I actually got from the, uh, the Werewolf of the Apocalypse storyteller's handbook for revised edition which is hands down i think still one of the best books i ever picked up for werewolf because it gives you ideas on how to introduce players into it and that's how i derived my extended uh, prelude method from because they don't give you those exact steps i just i extrapolated from that kind of idea and so what you do is we did short 15 30 minute sessions with them being just humans starting to feel the first change coming and they go through the first change. So it's like the last two or three days of them just being human. And you do that, then you get them all together so that they can form the pack and you portray the werewolf society as being incredibly alien and brutal. And then when they come back, it all makes sense as they're all like cheering them on and they see like the worst of the worm. Man, the worm can get pretty bad. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> so, <laughs> we've just been uh, rambling a bit. <laughs> Yay. It sounded like it. Yep. How's it going, um, man? I'm still the side of the dirt. There you go. <laughs> Not a bad way to put it. I'm glad that someone else is here now. I don't feel like I'm just taking up all the airwaves. <laughs> um. So, Brenna, I know you've been dropped down to one game... Uh, so far are there any games you really want to run now i know that uh oh hell (laughs) that's uh i might throw to the uh to the gallery one of my dream games which it's all like this next year and the fault years coming down is going to be dependent upon scheduling and time but i desperately want like a uh three kingdoms or game of thrones style like struggle with armies and Shit. and just the problem is getting players interested in that are like, you going to utilize like like if it's online are you going to utilize like a like a uh, 
you know, like a map table where you can have like, you know, like Warhammer style armies and stuff. Uh, potentially, but I haven't uh, bit the bullet as far as learning much of the uh, online style. Like when I run games, it's through Discord only. Um, like I have one friend whose game I'm in now. Uh, she runs through Roll Twenty, and I understand it a bit, but it, I look at it as learning like another gaming system. Like it's extra rules and like uh, one of the game one of the groups I run for is pretty casual, so I don't feel like foisting that on them. Plus, I I'm also being stubborn about learning to use all the tools. And Roll20 like, can be a bit of a fight. Yeah, yeah. I've used it before, and like, if you kind of understand it, it it can, it takes a little bit getting used to. But I mean, at the same time, you, no one can like compare to theater of the mind. You know what I mean? Hmm. A good I, one. I, I heard... use it for Pathfinder, and it works great for that, seeing as it already has sheets baked in that work. You missed it. We already did our shameless Pathfinder plug. It's been plugged. <laughs> well, too bad. I'm plugging it again. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Uh, anything That's that just it has how a good sh- Pathfinder is, everybody. <laughs> well, no. It didn't work well for Pathfinder 1st Edition because all of the other options don't exist for Roll20. So when you've got somebody that's got, you know, three different classes baked in to make one, one thing work, Roll20 goes, I don't know how this works. Roll20 does not respect the Gestalt class. Roll20 does not respect a lot of things. (laughs) So I have a I have a question for the room. If I were to tell you all to take a tribe or breed and then make a character that breaks the mold of it, what would you do? You know what? I'm going to I would bring back HDMI. Uh he was a lupus glasswalker ragabash that I played that worked for the cable company. <laughs> That's fantastic. I I don't know if that technically breaks the mold of as what like. Um, I will. I will. That. Let me let me go off the cuff. Then thinking, I would do a lupus lupus born Arun get a Fenris who strongly believes that self-discipline is the first step in defeating the worm and physical strength is actually the secondary way of doing it. And so he still does combat, obviously, but he actually does a lot of things and has built up his expressions to do self-help lectures so that people steel themselves against temptation to prevent the worm from even taking hold. And then rends them to par- apart if they don't follow his 12-step program. Man, that is a, that is a harsh 12 steps. <laughs> 13th, 13th step is death. Is, is, the, is the higher power in that step you? Except <laughs> that there is a higher power that will eat you. Except there is a higher power, power Gaia. And it can be any mm-hmm. higher power, Gaia. And <laughs> through this higher power, Gaia... Uh, you can overcome what's dragging you down, Thor. <laughs> um, I think I would do. I would. I, I would just want to plug my brother here. He actually made a, a male Black Fury. Hmm. And the way he does he does this is it was a uh, he's a Hamid born, and it's kind of like a special sect of the Black Furies that instead of giving up their male children, have decided to raise them, but raise them as they should be. They, but what they are is they're kind and they're gentle 
and they are respectful of women and they help women um their his uh, symbol is um i think it's theseus the uh, the symbol for justice the one the the blind the blind lady holding the scales that okay. is uh, that's the symbol for justice and um he uh think of kind of like have you guys see that movie um what was it called you were never here you were never really here mm-hmm. yeah think of like he does that he goes after kidnapped women and abducted girls and things like that and goes in there usually with a hammer and will will unlo- will unleash the beast on these people and in some situations will tie a blindfold around his eyes to keep himself from raging from what he sees so he goes okay. in there with smell alone no i um so i got another question for the group what kind of games do you plan on running in the uh, the upcoming year i want to it's it's my my friend's game who is like a complete like pirate enthusiast mm-hmm. he's really into like things like game of thrones but he knows pirates to a t like he could go sailing right now and do everything um but uh he w- he wants to run a pirate game where i get to be the captain he is a, he's a corax his name is is a uh, captain knox draven uh the knox stands for obnoxious and i want to have a mixed fair crew so i want to have a new wisha i got one one of my friends who's already made a new wisha that's uh, come on board. I have a get a Fenris, who is uh, old, an old where like kind of Viking, who's uh, been around for a while. And I, my friend Katie said she's going to be playing a a a mermaid actually. So we actually looked up the book for in Changeling, and yeah, sure enough, nice. there is a mermaid in Fey. Oh. But I, I just really want to be a Korax captain of a pirate ship who has absolutely no idea how to be a pirate but thinks it sounds very fun that makes i i can dig it how about you rook probably running the the uh the adventures from the from the chicago by night supplement or not chicago by night what the fuck was it follow london no no there was one that actually has some uh has an adventure that takes place in chicago indianapolis and then gary Oh yeah, let the streets run red. That's it. Yes, um, for V five, and since I live in the area, I can flesh it out a little a little bit better. Oh okay, nice. I live in Texas, and I don't know if there's been any like systems set in there, but I think that there should be. Uh, I there's a play by post server that's set in there. A what? Oh, there's a play by post server that's set in there. Hmm, that sounds fun. How about you, Brennan? Oh, uh. Probably um, either start the, uh, like, Kingdoms-style game or um, a uh, Cyberpunk-slash-John Wick-style. And I, I think I'm going to just switch over from D20 to either D10, like, World of Darkness, or maybe Call of Cthulhu. Hey, maybe you both. want people from that, homie, I'll join you. Because that sounds hey, you got super it. fun. I've, I've been playing the crap out of Cyberpunk. I liked it a lot. As soon as I as I started playing it, I was like, "Look, this game is great. I don't care what the bugs are. I don't care what people are saying. It's fun." But I think the tabletop would be more fun. Yeah, I I tried to run a tabletop um, a couple years ago, but I just wasn't as experienced of a DM. Didn't quite know what I wanted to do with it, so it petered out. But like, that's one of my favorite settings. 
So needs nice. to be done at some point. Cyberpunk really does need to be expanded upon. Like I watched, uh, there's a two-part documentary on YouTube right now that goes over the uh, like history of Cyberpunk and how it was developed. I really recommend it. It was a really interesting watch. Um, okay. It also led me to find out that did you guys know that there was a Total Recall like TV show called I did like not Total know that. Recall 2070? It was what? really it was really good. It was like more of like a sequel to. Um, like more of an expansion of the world of uh, da, 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 um, Blade Total Runner that uh, Blade Runner than Total Recall actually. Huh. Yeah, they, the developers actually said it was more of an unofficial prequel to Blade Runner. Okay. And you can definitely tell, like, if you guys go watch it with that mindset, like, no, this isn't a Total Recall movie. This is a Blade Runner with Total Recall on the title. It, it's really interesting. But uh. Nice. Very that was nice. 20, 2070, right? Yeah, uh, Total Recall 2070. Cool. <clears throat> Very cool. I oh. think that the noir aspects of, of movies like that influence World of Darkness to an extreme degree. Oh, yeah. Like, if you just look at, like, the, the concept of, like, just, like, the replicant of something that looks human but quite isn't and lacks empathy, and then we look at how vampires are handled in, like, the world of darkness, like, there's definitely some similarities, and I think that any good storyteller needs to have some of that noir appreciation. You guys know what I mean? I think I know what oh, you're definitely. getting at, yeah. Oh, definitely. I pull from different... Um different sources i have a couple uh sources i plan on pulling for the werewolf game and since there's a chance uh you might be in that one i will leave it at that the uh the games i plan on running is i'm going to continue the werewolf game till we reach the apocalyptic conclusion four years from now uh, two (laughs) (laughs) and uh it's been going on for two years come may no longer um i have to check my notes but um almost two years on the uh on the podcast series since the podcast started partway through that game um but i do also plan on picking up and finishing the vampire of the dark ages game for all two of the fans of that who are probably listening to this and i've been getting a real uh, sword and sorcery bug like true low magic sword and sorcery so i've been looking i've been rereading old school essentials dungeon crawl classics and um with gen con it looks like i'll be running more uh more conan for modifius which should be fun as hell conan's a fun system i've never heard of it it's All of a... those sound super fun. <laughs> <laughs> Old School Essentials is basically a uh, retro clone to the Mulve, uh basic D&D rules. Like first edition? Um, basic edition. Wow. Neat. And very cool, and I really like how they package it because you can get a box set and each book or each section is its own individual book, so you have the core rules, which tells you how the armor class stats and all that work. You have a genre rules which contains all the character classes a magic book that contains all the spells that you need for those classes a treasure book and a monster book so the dm 
doesn't have to start passing around the books when people need them. They can pass out the books that people need when they need them. And others can look at other books. Huh. Dungeon Crawl Classics is a game I've uh, talked up on GM Talks a few times, and it is a old-school uh, Renaissance game that is a D20. It's, uh, it doesn't use Thacko. It's a positive armor class game, and you start the game with between three to five level zero characters who are just peasants. They get, per player. Yeah, per player. And um, they roll a single D4. That's their health. So they can start with just one HP. Um, no Ooh. armor. Farming equipment. And one random item. And then you push them through an adventure called a funnel. And whoever comes out on the other side, it's uh, congratulations, you're level one. Actually what? played in that system once. I was the only survivor as a jester. Oh, that's amazing. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so fun. Funnels are fun as hell. You do you, you find creative ways. Like one person they got uh, they were a farmer, so they made their pig go through go into individual rooms to try and trigger traps so none of them would die. And they, they got emotionally attached to the pig because it survived all the traps until the very end, and then it got into a fight with a like acid ooze that just dissolved their pig, and they're just like, no, my pig. <laughs> and it's uh, it's a roll to cast game. So if you're a wizard, you roll, and if you fail the roll, you lose the spell for the day. If you succeed the roll, you get to keep it. And the higher you roll, the more powerful the spell is. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's fun as hell. Like it's it's it is definitely like an over the top Gonzo style RPG. I love Gonzo stuff. So that I highly recommend it. Yeah, it's fun I would as play hell. A shepherd. <laughs> Be like, look, man, I was just here minding my sheep, and it's, all uh, of a sudden, I'm here. Yep, it is. You roll your profession randomly. You roll all your stats in order randomly so it's 3d6 that's your strength 3d6 that's your agility 3d6 that's your stamina for everything um and conan is oh go ahead (laughs) go ahead sorry i was gonna say that just that reminds me there's actually a role system that i wanted to talk about but if you want to finish your thought please go ahead oh yeah and then conan's a 2d20 system it's like a dipole system like world of darkness but it's also a roll low so you have um Every skill falls under a specific attribute. Your attribute is rated usually between 6 and I think the highest you can get is 12. 12 or 14. And then you have a skill that's rated between um, 0 and 5. And you add those together, and that's what you have to equal or get less on your D20 to count it as a success. And so if you have like... Melee 5, Agility 10, you need a 15 or less to succeed. And that's how, many, how you count successes. And then you get thing, there's two separate pools called Doom and Momentum. Momentum something characters can generate. If they get more successes than they need, they've generated momentum, and they can either spend it immediately to get extra things happening, or they can put it in the community pool that caps at 10 momentum, and you can spend that momentum to add D20s to your pool to a maximum of 5, d20s or there's another pool called doom that the storyteller can use and that can add d20s to their they spend that to add d20s to the enemy rolls 
make the enemies break initiative order, or add random traps when things seem to be going too easy for the players. And players can gift the Storyteller Doom to add dice to their pool so that they can do really well for something, but they know they got to pay it back later, so to speak. It sounds like Cleave, the system. <laughs> kind of, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, it sounds like Super Cleave. That sounds cool. <laughs> it makes sense for Conan, really. But yeah, it's super fun. I, I really enjoy it. It, it. It's a very cinematic, very sword and sorcery style game. Sounds neat. But uh, what was your thought on the uh, die system? I'm sorry. Oh, cut you off. Was this? This is uh, this was just a um, a system that one DM had me do, and like I've tried doing it with other systems, and like it doesn't work quite as well. But when you with with a D and D and Pathfinder, it worked great. And, and like I don't know why it is, but he said like like he said this, and it's remained to be true. I don't know why, but anytime we use this role system, the characters' stats come out the exact same way that they should be. And like that means that like you will you will have your low points and like things that you didn't know you were and then you'll end up role playing it in a way that like yeah of course you would have this low and like so anyway it, it goes like this you literally just roll like I think it's a four d six or three d six up to the DM on how powerful you want to be uh, drop the lowest uh, and you just go down the the, the sheet like fit you know strength dex con wisdom intelligence right charisma and you like leave them as they lay and then you can uh switch one with another one and then you can re-roll one but other than that you can't move them around and for some reason anytime we do that characters stats just come out the way they should be <laughs> like every time that sounds like it has a relatively high chance for super high stats which I'm not it against. Has a, it has a... I mean, if you roll three... Uh, 4d6 and drop the lowest, yeah. But if you roll 3d6, drop the lowest, not really. Okay. One I mean, it's all up to the DM on how you want to be, but... Yeah. Yeah, no, there is... Yeah, I mean, there is a chance that you can get, you know, an 18 and something right out, but... That's one of my... That, um, is, on, that is on the high end. Uh, character I'm playing in the game I'm in right now... Um, is a dwarven fighter gunslinger that has two 18s, uh, 17, a 16, and three 14s. Did you roll and, those? Yeah, that was just 3d6, I think. Beautiful. It was three or 4d6 dropped the lowest. Um, but like, I still like getting into trouble. Like, he's almost died like three or four times just because it's uh, we're in Curse of Strahd. Um, it's pretty harsh, but. More and more, I like playing characters with uh, detrimental stats, just because the roleplay opportunities are there. Like, I might be getting old, but like, I have a I lot know, more I would fun. Say that brave. Sometimes having terrible stats can just be such a wonderful roleplaying opportunity as well. Agreed. Yeah, definitely. But, and that is to say that uh, having like really swell min-max stats is no guarantee of success. Like, this character I'm playing now is not the most useful. But mm -hmm. uh, on another occasion, I had a character with two fives that was uh, the big bad guy for a group of friends. And 
uh, I think he escaped. Like he didn't beat them, but it was in a, a one-on-four uh, situation, and the stats didn't really come into it. He was a pretty powerful spellcaster, but with five constitution, it's not exactly what you want for your big bad evil guy. Yeah. I don't know. And there are times uh, you get lucky. Yeah, and I think also like the low stats are kind of fun, um, especially with those older style games. D and D, Fifth and Pathfinder to some degree, those they they can feel a little awkward solely because um, so much does derive from those stats. That's why I've uh, I found that I've really liked a lot of the OSR games because you can have shitty stats, but because magical equipment plays into it so much more. And you actually just being clever as a player plays into it so much more. Those negative stats don't feel like it's a hindrance to the group. They 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 feel more like they could be really good role playing opportunities. Right. I mean, we've all seen the uh, like the fighter who's really good at hitting stuff. He's just real bad at judging what he should hit. Yeah. <laughs> Like and I like that, but uh, so one of the things I kind of like about Five E and Pugmire as an extension of Five E is that you can get min and maxers playing with non min and maxers, and while the min maxer is definitely going to be way more powerful than the non min maxer, they the game because it's so I guess simplistic, but that that carries its own negative connotation. Um, but because the rule systems are a lot simpler and there's not as much uh, power creep or bloat, um, you end up in a place where the person who hasn't min-maxed, they don't feel completely useless running in a party with the min-maxer in 5e versus a Pathfinder or 3.5 especially. Yeah, no, uh, Was it old Pathfinder was definitely awful about if you weren't optimal, you were falling behind. Yeah. Especially, and uh, uh, was it organized play? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't do a whole lot of that, but I definitely noticed it. <laughs> I spent a lot of my time in organized play, and I'm really glad I kind of got away from it. Oh, really? Um, I, I, I don't know a lot of people who do organized play. What, uh, what drove you away from it? Just the optimization part, or...? So, a lot of it was the... I never knew who was going to be at the table. Mm-hmm. At any given time, like, there were people who were great to play with. There were other people who were just, they would drag it down in new and creative ways. Mm. Uh, what is it? We had one of the people who would occasionally GM would bend the rules in his favor if he was GMing. But if he tried to make the same bend as a player, it wasn't happening. He was always frustrating. That's uh, there were, Yeah, there were people. You're more likely to run into people who won't read their sheet, okay, and don't know what they're do what they're able to do. Uh, it's just a lot of unknowns. You also don't know, uh, you know, somebody might just not show up without saying anything, oh, and suddenly, yeah. suddenly your table's not running. Oh, now that makes sense. Yeah, that's um, because one of the benefits to um, running for cons that I found, and I love running for cons, is that you do get a lot of new people, and they. They usually bring a lot of, I get, and that's different from organized play because organized play happens basically every week uh, or every month, right? Uh, for us, it was every two weeks. Every two weeks, yeah. So the, there was always an op- there's always an opportunity to come back. But if you're running for a con, people are more likely to show up for that game, especially because they're paying for it. And um, we had a lot of new people who'd never played a lot of the games I ran, and they 
like star eyed ready to play they're at gen con right like i actually find that to be one of the more rewarding things about running for new people also once i stepped away and started running home games i had a lot more freedom to myself as a gm that makes sense you know i could say yeah just whatever's first party go for it i don't care i can balance around it okay yeah that makes sense as, as opposed to the organized play where you're stuck with whatever the module has so if you've got you know four heavily optimized min maxers in your in your in your table that module's getting destroyed yeah <laughs> <laughs> no that's fair um since uh, you're both Pathfinder players, have you guys, um, or which means, you know, generic uh, fantasy games, which no shame in that, is uh, have you guys pulled any kind of uh, exploration rules from other systems, uh, like uh, like older versions of uh, D&D and things like that, or do you focus on other aspects? Um, I've played a game where we went through um, seven different versions of Hell. And, like, we went to, like, different, uh, like, systems. Uh, like, we went to, like, a purgatory from D&D. We went to, um, not purgatory, but the other word that we would usually assert, associate to it. Um, limbo? Uh, limbo, yeah. Yeah, there's Limbo. Uh, we went to, like, the seven stages of hell. Uh, we went through Dante's hell. Like, yeah, it was a lot of different versions of hell that we like fought fought and went through it was very dark souls like there's a lot of boss fights it was really fun okay uh, i don't awesome. know if that is technically what you were talking about no no but that's fine that's still cool info um like for pugmire i pulled uh, the basic rules um exploration rules so triple your speed that's how far you can get in an exploration turn which takes a minute instead of uh 60 seconds and so that's how you track time. And then every third third round, you roll to see if there's a random encounter or not. Hmm. And it makes it so that there's an actual time and a pace. And that means that uh, their torches can run out because torches actually do have a time limit written in the PHP. But no one's going to go, ah, well, I guess it's been about blah, blah, blah. You have a set thing. So the exploration feels gamified just as much as combat or anything else have to remember to lift those rules in the future yeah they're really nice rules and um so yeah it's like hey uh this lasts for five hours well okay and then you can just break that down into however many exploration turns but it also means that uh players are more cognizant of if they're they're uh, resting in the dungeon or if they're going to try and make it back to the city since it uh it does make dungeon diving a little more of a uh, resource management style of game you know, I've got a player in my game right now that plays a bard, and when they were talking about taking the risks of resting in a dungeon, he goes, let me introduce you to this magnificent mansion spell. Yeah, that's <laughs> fair. <laughs> hmm. As far as random encounters go. Exploration uh, rules. Never really. I've never played with those, but it sounds fun, though. Yeah, those were a big thing in basic D&D, and they were in the first edition of AD&D, from my recollection. It reminds me of a Zorks, or like you know, like that old school computer RPG game where you like mm -hmm. go this way, go that way. Reminds me of that. It's a little bit like that, yeah. And then uh, if you wanted the party to stay together, then you they were limited by the slowest person in the group too. As usual, mm -hmm. it's always the bard. 
And then uh, <laughs> when you rolled random encounters, you also had to roll for surprise on both sides. So both sides could actually be surprised on each other where they'd crash into each other and be like, oh, shit. With the exception of if the players had torches going. So a lot of groups, what they did in older games is the thief would trek up ahead in the darkness so that they weren't in the torchlight and they'd keep their hand like on the wall and things like that while they checked for traps and things like that. Because if there's a light in a lightless dungeon, then there's no way you can be stealthy. But if you, got, if you get surprise on the enemy monsters, that means you can extinguish your torches, wait, and then attack them, and then get your lights back on. Hmm. I mean, unless you have an elf in the party, then they have, then they have dark vision. Yeah, um, I like how they explain that in older versions too. It's infravision, so it's like an infrared. So if there's anything written, they can't read. Ah, uh, that makes sense. Dark uh, vision is now, now additions. It's just it's dark vision, and everybody except for the humans gets dark vision. And dragonborn for reasons. Don't worry about <laughs> it. Right. <laughs> and then you play the one character who has dark vision because he's like Riddick. <laughs> yep, that's why I've always preferred. I, that's why I've started homebrewing that it is infravision and i have actually homebrewed that uh, it's low light vision for elves and half elves again it's a little extra bookkeeping but i think it adds a little more really you know so yeah, for me dark vision is so common that it like you can't really use darkness as a device against your players like, <laughs> you really can't anymore like uh, I had one occasion where the only person who didn't have dark vision was the um, the uh, dragonborn, and they were going through like an Indiana Jones style obstacle area, and uh, the group who had a torch lit for their own reasons got it far enough ahead of him on an obstacle that he could no longer see. They nearly died. Is just half an hour of the dragonborn tooling around while the rest of the party easily gets through an area That's which awesome. <laughs> it, it was fun in its own way like they enjoyed torturing each other but um like i like those feelings like um if your humans are uh crossing a field and they decide to push through the night and then the wolves start howling uh i i really like using those details and it just it, it loses a bit of uh steam when no one's afraid of the dark yeah, I agree with that. It's just it was just hard to be a venture who's afraid of the dark, you know. Darkness, like like one of my favorite vampires always says, I just don't understand how you all are complaining. You know, nighttime makes up half of all time, right? <laughs> um, no, I hear you. I also like uh, going back and using some of that Gygaxian, um ecology. A lot of old adventures tried to create some sort of ecological sense somehow. They were still fucking random in places, but there were parts where it's like, this is here because of this. Like, these, this, these slave traders take the corpses and they throw them here, and so the characters would come across carrion crawlers who attack here, here, and here, and if they're in this zone, this zone, this zone, then add the carrion crawler onto the random encounter table and things like that. And I was like, oh, that's a cool little detail. Huh. That that kind of makes me wonder a question, like not including yourselves, obviously, but what is the best thing you have seen a DM do for immersion for his players? 
My like, favorite example of that, um, uh, I forget whether it was part of a larger adventure. Um, Keegan was running it. It was the uh, Tower of Shardor. Yeah, it was a homebrew game. Yeah. Um, that was, we were seeking out a tower that only appeared at sundown and teleported around randomly. And we we're as we we're setting up camp, he described this gold dragon just flying like really high up in the sky, like a thousand feet or more up. And it was just flying towards the sunset. And just the way the music hit and the entire mood was like it wasn't you have to worry about this random encounter as a level two uh like a colossal gold dragon. Um it was just you watch this gold dragon float off into the night. That was chill. Like Pokemon. Uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was exactly awesome. exactly. <laughs> um, it was like Pokemon. Yeah, that was awesome. It just yeah. fills you with wonder and boyhood spirit. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was one of the first or it's one of the only random encounters I remember that wasn't a combat random encounter. And it was also just there. And it was yeah. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh in the Warhammer forty K only war system, uh the the uh DMST, whatever term they use for that one, decided to leave something around that would mutate one of our party members. And so eventually, we can see our one of our one of our squad mates go up, start investigating it, start poking at the weird purple goo on the floor, and he describes claws bursting out from inside, tearing away the skin, growing, this that and the other, and as the fight's beginning, he describes an Astartes stepping in, and while he's going toe to toe with this creature that has replaced our squad mate, it is pushing him back. And he's describing each blow, swing by swing. Nice, nice. That is that is always nice to have those good little details. I had um, a. Uh... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say uh, I went to Gen Con once, and uh, shout out to my buddy Scott. He was running a werewolf game, and I got to play in. And it was a white howler game. We all knew it was coming, but uh, it's like these spirits are getting twisted and things like that. And I'm trying to explain to the elder, the sept, that it's the worm and things are going wrong. And she's like, no, it's just a worm spirit. We just need you to do this. And I, I'm like, and I'm getting real impassioned. I'm like, you are being arrogant, elder. And everyone else in the pack's just like, I don't know if you should have fucking said that. Uh, like she the gets final all, days of Krypton. Yeah. And she's just like, <laughs> and she's like, no. And so we do the whole thing. We do the whole adventure. We come back. They're all spirals. And they they crucify me while the others are getting dragged into the the spiral. And that same elder comes out all spiraled out. And he comes up and he describes it as going, who's arrogant now? Uh, And it was just great. And it drew everyone in. And of course, I replied with, well, clearly it's still you. (laughs) Never let the bad guys have the last word, kids. (laughs) Never. And then I got dragged in and became a spiral myself. It was a fun as hell game. It was one of my favorites to this day of being able to play. Well, uh, I'm going to go ahead and shout out to my my buddy Colin, who was one of the best DMs I've ever had down in Austin, Texas. And uh, 
his uh like the upstairs to his apartment right his living room was almost pretty much dedicated to this right it was just it was couches and ta- and chairs like surrounding like a a table right and on this table he also had a, a screen for the players to look at that he could control he had his uh monitors that were set up as basically a dm screen and he ran everything digitally to the coolest ascent there was like lights underneath the couches that that made fog that could come out he would play music and and mood and, and setting and stuff that mesh everything and he had everything choreographed down to a t it was like watching someone perform a play for you more than it was uh dnd and like it was always just such a pleasure to walk to be in any of his games and uh, I actually got to make one of my favorite characters who just started off as, like, an NPC that he had. That he's, like, he's like, there's this guy. He was attacked by a ghost. I was like, that sounds like a cool backstory. I'll be him. <laughs> and, uh, but, yeah, shout out to him. He, uh, it, it, I, you don't have to do all these extra things for your players, but when you do, it's nice to be appreciated, and he definitely did it. So shout out to him. Nice. All right, gentlemen, we're going on for a bit. I want to thank you both for jumping on. It was a lot of fun being able to chat like this. Yeah, I really liked it a lot. Hopefully, I was a, I was a fun guest. And uh, yeah, all right. And uh, from us, uh, I'm Keegan Brennan. This is a bunch of gamers on GM Talks. You can find us on Facebook, Podbean, YouTube. YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, but you will never find me on Twitter. I find it accessible. Bye. <laughs>